All right. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And, and if you're joining us maybe today for the first time or, or maybe you've been here uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Join the Team. As we have been preaching through the book of Colossians, we, we've got to the last half of the last chapter. And, and this portion of text is kind of the, the portion of text that many of us, if we read our Bible, this is the portion of text we would hit really quick and just kind of read and pass over it because it's got a bunch of names in it, right? And so if you've ever read the Bible uh, and tried to spend any time studying the Bible or whatnot, you know, when it gets to that portion that's like a phone book, you just kind of blow through that and like, man, God, God, surely there can't be any good stuff in that. Let me just get these names read off so I can check the box that I read my Bible today. But I think God has some tremendous truths through the, the men that are listed in, in Colossians chapter 4. Remember, Paul is the, the human instrument that God is using to, to, to record this epistle and send it to the, the believers at Colossae. And as he closes this epistle, he mentions 10, 10 names of, of, of 10 ministry relationships that he has, people that, that have served alongside of him, that are, that are um, certainly dear to the Apostle Paul. Let me just read Colossians 4, verses 7 through 11. We're not going to read the whole text. But verse, verse 7 says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And, and, so, and so Paul introduces us to Tychicus, and Onesimus, these were the couriers of this epistle of the Colossians. These, these are the guys that actually were entrusted to take this letter to the believers at Colossae. They were the couriers. And we learned early on, a couple of weeks ago, some tremendous truths. Tychicus was a beloved brother. He was a faithful minister. He was a fellow servant of Paul and the Lord. Onesimus, man, we remember his story. He was an unprofitable servant, and yet he got saved and became profitable to Paul, and he even became profitable to his master in the flesh. And so we saw a tremendous uh, transformation that happened in his life. And then he tells us in verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Okay, And so then we move from the couriers to the, of the epistle to the convict. And, and Paul tells us that there's this guy named Aristarchus, and he's Paul's companion. And and we studied him two weeks ago, and we saw that everywhere that Paul went, man, Aristarchus was there with him. He was a companion in travel. He was a companion in labor. He was a companion in trouble. <laughs> I mean, everywhere that Paul went, this guy was with him and, and he was just a companion with him and, and showed what true fellowship really is supposed to look like in the body of Christ. And then we learned that somehow this guy did something to land him in prison with Paul. And we just made the point that, that he became a convict. In other words, there was enough evidence of his faith in Christ that it landed him in the, in the slammer right there with Paul. And, and we know that Paul, obviously, man, would, would take opportunity to preach the gospel, to address the Jews and you know, split synagogues and stand up and, and, and even confront Roman leadership. Well, you gotta, you got to believe that this guy did too, man. And, and, and ultimately, he had enough evidence against him to convict him of being a true believer in Christ. He, he didn't have just a profession of faith. He actually had proof of his faith that was lived out. And, and because of that, he suffered persecution. And then, and then we get into the last part of, of kind of the text. And, and this is where we'll spend our time today. In, in verse 10, the next man that is mentioned 
is this man named Marcus. And the Bible says in verse 10, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye received commandment, if he come unto you, receive him. And so the next several guys that are mentioned in the text are really Paul's companions. So we had the, the, you know, the couriers of the epistle, the, the convict, and now we have these other companions of Paul, many of which were Jewish men. And so today we're just going to talk about Marcus. Uh, I wanted to get a few more, but the, the more I studied this, the more I was like, uh, we're going we're gonna to just stay with John Mark today. And I want you to know that John Mark is a cool guy in the scriptures. He's, he's an interesting character study, and I think God has some tremendous truth for us today as we study his life, because the first thing I want you to write down is this. Marcus, like many of us, was surrounded with the right people. As we study his life, we're going to see that John Mark, Marcus, was actually surrounded with some pretty amazing Christians to model his life after. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in, 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 uh, in verse 11 of Colossians chapter 4, as Paul kind of names off these next several men, he says that these men are men of the circumcision. Okay, and so number one, we, we know from the scriptures, from Colossians 4, we're going to see in the book of Acts also, we know that Marcus, or John Mark, was a Jew. Okay, he, he was a Jew. Number one, he was a Jew. And then secondly, we know from Colossians 4 and verse 10 that Marcus was Barnabas's nephew. He was Barnabas's nephew. Okay, so number one, he's a Jew. That's pretty significant because, again, the nation of Israel and all the things associated with that. But secondly, listen, he's Barnabas's nephew. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. Okay? In other words, it's Barnabas's sister's son which would have made him Barnabas's nephew. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 12, you get confirmation of this. Actually, you get his mother's name in Acts chapter 12. The Bible talks about in Acts 12 verse 12, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And so Mary would have been Barnabas's sister, and listen, Barnabas was, was kind of a, I don't want to be disrespectful, man, but he was kind of a stud. I mean, he was, he was a pretty legit guy in the ministry. Early on in Acts, we see that he's the son of consolation, right? He's a Levite, and, and God uses him mightily. In Acts chapter 12, the context of Acts 12 is Peter has been imprisoned. And what's happening is there's a prayer meeting going on for Peter. And the prayer meeting is happening at Mary's house, who is the mother of John Mark. And, and, and we'll get into this maybe in the second point, but, but I just want you to, to realize that, that Marcus, John Mark, he had Barnabas as an uncle. Pretty su substantial spiritual influence in his life. He also would have had a connection to Peter because they were praying for Peter while Peter was in prison. As a matter of fact, later in Acts chapter 12, Peter knocks on the door and nobody believes that it's Peter. It makes you wonder what they were praying for, for Peter. Some people would say that they weren't praying for his release, they were praying that he wouldn't deny the Lord again. That's what, they, that's what some people think that they were praying for. But nevertheless, God opened the prison door, Peter shows up at Mary's house, John Mark would have been there. And so he's got Barnabas. He's got Peter, and as we study the scriptures a little bit further, we find that, that John Mark or Marcus is also Peter's son in the faith. And, and again, listen, God has put 
a tremendous amount of spiritual influence in this man's life, this young man's life. He is, he is around the right people. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, when, when Peter writes his first epistle, he says, The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. And again, if you say, well, maybe Peter meant that literally, well, that would have meant that Peter was married to Mary in Acts chapter 12. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think it was Peter's son in the flesh. Peter did have a wife. He also had a mother-in-law. But I do believe that this is, this is implying or inferring that, that Marcus was Peter's son in the faith, that Peter is the one that ultimately led him to Christ, not Barnabas, but Peter himself. Peter's son in the faith. And so, and so look at the people that he's surrounded himself with or, or that God has surrounded him with. Peter, Barnabas. We're going to see in just a second, in, in the second point, that, that, that Paul was also in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 12 when all this was going down. And there's a really good chance that Marcus had exposure to Paul. He actually is going to end up leaving Jerusalem and going with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. You say, what's the point? Well, the point is... God puts people in our life to influence us for the Lord Jesus Christ. God has surrounded many of us with, with, with people whose faith we can follow. I mean, listen, who are the people that God has put in your life as a, as a spiritual example, as a spiritual leader, as, a, as, a, as someone like a Paul, like a Peter, like a Barnabas? Who is it that God has put in your life to influence you for the Lord Jesus Christ? And listen, in preparing this lesson, I started just writing down the names and, and, and remembering the names of the men of God that have been a part of my life over the last 20-something years. And can, and can I just tell you, listen, the more I just remembered and reconciled and, and, man, looked at these people as key people that God put in my life, well, the more I got overwhelmed and realized I don't deserve any of that, number one, but, man, how accountable am I? How accountable am I because of the people that God surrounded me with? And, and, and many of you know the story of Marcus, but if you don't know, we'll, we'll get to the, the bad part in a second. But I want you to understand, listen, he was surrounded with the right people. He was surrounded with the right people. God put the right people in his life to have the right example to impress upon him a, a, a reality of how to follow God, how to walk with Christ, how to be a good minister. And the truth is God's put those people in our life too. The second thing that we learn from Marcus is that he was given the right opportunities. He was given the right opportunities. And again, as we, as we just compare Scripture with Scripture, we find in Acts chapter 12, his mother is hosting a prayer meeting for an imprisoned apostle. So he had a, a, a spiritual legacy and lineage in his own home. Listen, she's opening up the house for prayer. Acts 12 and verse 12, when they considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And so listen, Marcus, he had been given the right opportunities. Number one, he'd experienced powerful prayer from a, from a corporate group of people that trusted God, that trusted that they could bring the most difficult situations to their heavenly father and expect God to answer. Okay, uh, what a tremendous opportunity. He also had privileged partnership. Now remember I said earlier that, that, that Peter was in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 12. Barnabas you know, uh, came with Paul. When we, when we look at Acts chapter 11, we find that Paul and Barnabas had brought relief 
to the saints at Jerusalem. In other words, uh, there, there was a, a famine, uh, there was a dearth that came to pass, Acts 11 and verse 28. It says there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So my point is, as everything is unfolding in Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison, the saints are praying, well, there are two people that are significant that have made their journey to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas, and they delivered this this love offering, this financial resource, this relief to the elders at Jerusalem. Now look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, it's on the screen. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And that means when they took the relief to the elders. And they took with them, listen to this, John, whose surname was Mark. So all of a sudden, John, John Mark, Marcus, joins Paul and Barnabas. Okay, these dudes are studs. Can I say that without being ugly? they're, They're spiritual giants. I mean, they are absolute, listen, they are like the real deal. And all of a sudden now, John gets to join them and go back to Antioch. What a tremendous opportunity. You could, you could say this was his first mission trip. This is his first time away from Jerusalem. You know, maybe, maybe that's his first, his first real opportunity to be around some amazing men of God. I just want you to know that, that, that listen, again, Maybe because his uncle had such a zeal for him, because Barnabas, as we, as we study this a little bit further, you're going to find that Barnabas had a tremendous zeal for John Mark, a tremendous zeal for him. And maybe it was just his uncle telling Paul, hey man, my nephew's here, We're going to, let's grab him and bring him back to Antioch with us. We don't know exactly how it worked out, the scripture doesn't give that to us, but I want you to know that, listen, John Mark, Marcus had, given, had been given some tremendous opportunities. He'd been part of powerful prayer. He, he had the opportunity to join this partnership of, of Paul and Barnabas. And then, and then number three, we're going to see that he gets to be a part of this purposed work. Because in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 13, at the church at Antioch, the model New Testament church, we're going to see the first missionaries sent out. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, it says, There were at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, and by the way, the Holy Ghost is God, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, which is really cool, by the way, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had also John, a.k.a. John Mark, a.k.a. Marcus, they had John, to their minister. Okay, so, so again, we're talking about opportunities. John Mark, part of a powerful prayer meeting where ultimately God delivers Peter. 
right to the door, right? You talk about opportunities. When, when, when Paul and Barnabas, the leaders of the church of Antioch, when they leave Jerusalem, well, they take John Mark with them. And now when they get back to Antioch, God has a work. God is calling out missionaries from that church to a work. The whole church agrees. And by the way, if the Holy Spirit is big enough to call you out on, and have a call of God on your life, your church is also going to understand that calling. And your church leadership is also going to be in agreement. And, and, and there will be multiple levels of confirmation. You won't have to go at it roguely or alone, by the way because that's the way God confirms it. But, but God calls these two men out, and as they go to Cyprus, this is the very first missionary journey. John is their minister. John is their servant. He's the guy carrying their luggage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's the guy getting on the bus. Hey, John, how about you grab my suitcase? Okay, that's what's happening, right? You start at the bottom. Listen, this is, this is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous opportunity. Now, now listen, God did not call out, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost did not call out John Mark. And, and there is some question on whether he even should have been on this trip, and we can save that for later when you buy me coffee. But the point is, Paul and Barnabas were called to a work. Cyprus was a large island in the Mediterranean Sea. By the way, Acts chapter 4 tells us that that's where Barnabas was from. Barnabas was from Cyprus, and so what, a, what an awesome mission trip because you got a guy that's from this island that's on this ministry team, his name's Barnabas, and he's going to be able to navigate and, and lead and, and know all the good places to eat and all that good stuff. So, so this is a cool trip. But as, as Acts chapter 13 unfolds, you begin to see spiritual opposition with this mission journey. There, there's a, there's a, a sorcerer on this island of Cyprus named Bar-Jesus. He's a false prophet. As Barnabas and Saul want to preach the gospel, this false prophet wants to turn men away from the gospel. Paul confronts him. Paul uses his apostolic giftedness and actually calls blindness on this guy. And there's spiritual warfare and wickedness right off the bat. Here, here's the point. Here's, here's where I'm going with all this. Many of us know the story of Marcus, but I, I don't want to be an idiot. You can be surrounded with the right people, and you can be given the right opportunities and still not make the right decisions. And, and, I, and, I, and you know where we're going with the story, because ultimately John Mark is going to fail. But before we get to that point, I, I just want to make sure you understand that many of us would say, you know, we've had some tremendous people in our life who, whom we look to as an example, you know, spiritually. And, and we've been given opportunities, and, and some of us have been given tremendous opportunities to, to be around people and, and go places and see things that some other people haven't got to do, you know. We, we have been given some pretty unique opportunities, but just because we have been given the right opportunities and been around the right people, it doesn't always guarantee success in ministry, and it doesn't guarantee success in our life. And, and, and that leads us to the third point. Look, Marcus, listen, he experienced extraordinary failure. He experienced extraordinary failure. And... And this, is where, and this is where his story for us is, is a great example of failure, but then restoration. The first thing that we learn about Marcus is that he departed from the ministry. Okay, so, so in Acts 13, when they're in Cyprus, and they're on this island, and this spiritual warfare is breaking out, and there's this sorcerer, 
and there's this crazy stuff happening. This dude's trying to turn people away from the gospel. And Paul says, look, I'm sick of you, dude. You're going to be blind, and blindness falls on this guy, and however all that works. Listen, it's crazy. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says, When Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came uh, to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to where? He returned to Jerusalem. I mean, John didn't even go back to Antioch, the church that had sent Paul and Barnabas out. Does that make sense? He didn't go back to the church that sent them out, that commissioned them on this mission journey. John leaves the team, and John Mark, Marcus, goes home. He runs home. He runs home. He quits. He, he, he experiences a failure. And, and you got to ask the question, well, why did he do that? And if you don't think it was a failure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you in Acts chapter 15, because he becomes the point of contention between Paul and Barnabas. He, he becomes a subject of disagreement, sharp disagreement in the ministry. Man, why did Mark quit? Why did Marcus quit? Maybe Maybe he saw too much too soon, because you know how it is, man. Listen, when, when, when you get on the mission field, and, and some of you, how many of you have been able to, to go to a foreign field? Listen, you, when you get on the mission field, and you get out of your little square circle here of, of you know, Bible-loving Baptists that come to church and sing, and every, everybody's happy and glad to be here, when you get in the real world where ministry happens, well, you see some stuff that you don't really see a lot of times. And, and listen, maybe, maybe he just wasn't spiritually mature enough to handle that. Maybe he wasn't ready to handle that spiritually. Listen, we know from Acts chapter 13 that the Holy Ghost clearly called Barnabas and Paul. Maybe he wasn't called. Maybe he shouldn't even have been there. Maybe that sorcerer on that island really freaked him out because he got his first taste of spiritual warfare, spiritual opposition. Maybe he just didn't like traveling and carrying Paul's suitcase. And making Paul's coffee. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know how that works. Maybe he was just uncommitted to the work. Why did he quit? I don't know why he quit. Why do we quit? Why do we quit sometimes? And, and, and listen, you know, we all, the truth is we're all Marcus. Because the truth is, listen, the first time, the first time that you have the opportunity, the first time that you're around the right people, the first time that you, you have the, the green light to move forward, well, most of us fail. Most of us blow it. That first sermon ain't going to be the greatest sermon you ever preached. Can I tell you that? No offense. That first person you disciple ain't going to be the greatest disciple of Jesus Christ that's ever walked this planet. Does, does that make sense? The first time that you lead a ministry, guess what? You're probably going to blow it. And, and the reason that we can appreciate Marcus is because, listen, just like Marcus had all the right opportunities and the right people, and he still failed, we will too. We will too. So we need to learn from his example. Listen, we need to learn from his example. What is, what is it that makes us quit? You know, in this culture of Christianity, we have a lot of opposition. We have things like COVID. We have government restriction. We have social media platforms. We have political unrest and, and uneasiness and uncertainty and financial and economic uh, uncertainty. Listen, what is it that makes us quit in our culture of Christianity? And I'll just tell you, listen, when we get serious about the work of God, there's going to be adversity and attack. We just know that because the devil is against it. If we, if we just sit back and don't ever get engaged, we don't have to worry about the devil really worrying about it. 
He's already got the victory he's looking for. But when God's people get serious, listen, you need to be careful. And so, number one, we learned that John Mark departed from the ministry. And we need to take note of that, lest we say that would never happen to me. I can assure you it it is quite possible for every one of us. Number two, we learned that he divided the current leadership. He divided the current leadership. And again, remember, this first missionary journey uh, continued on. It finished. uh, It completed. John Mark checked out, but Paul and Barnabas continued. And you get all the way to Acts chapter 15. and, And listen, God did tremendous things in that first missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, the Bible says, And some days after, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God and see how they do. And Barnabas, listen to the wording, Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. That's a strong word, by the way. He, he was determined, well, if we're going, Marcus is going with us. John Mark is going with us. <laughs> Verse 38. <laughs> but Paul <laughs> thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So you got Paul saying, hey, he's coming with us. And Paul says, no, he ain't. Who's right? Well, maybe that's not the right question. Look at the verse, verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, departing, uh, excuse me, and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. You know, the cause of contention between Paul and Barnabas was Marcus. I mean, I mean, the division in leadership was over an individual that left the work. Now listen, I'm going to say some things right now, and, and some of you in this room may not hear what I'm about to say, but I'm telling you that there are ministry conversations that go on on a daily and weekly basis in this church and every other church, and they have to do with personnel, and they have to do with responsibilities. And sometimes failure follows you, and it creates contention and sometimes even division amongst church leadership. Why? Because decisions have to be made about ministry. Decisions have to be made about ministry. And and I just want to make the point, listen, if you've ever failed, we've all failed, you need to realize that it has not only affected your life, your life personally, your ministry personally, and what God wants to do with you, but there are leaders above you that also have to consider that failure. You say, I don't like that, man. God's full of grace and forgiveness. Yeah, he is full of all of those things. You know, it's always funny in Acts chapter 15, when people get to Acts 15, they always want to decide on whose side to take. Is it Barnabas' side or is it Paul's side? You know what? You don't have to make that decision if John Mark doesn't flake out. And nobody wants to say that because that hurts our feelings. Well, you don't have to pick a side if there's no contention Because a dude acts in faith instead of fear. And I just want to make the point. Listen, you better believe that God is able to forgive and restore. And that's the point of the message. But you need to also understand that our failure follows us. And it affects people in leadership. So much so 
Well, sometimes there's, there's division, even in leadership. And, and, and some of you, again, may not even understand what I'm saying. But some of you young, young leaders are going to understand and appreciate what I'm saying because one day you will be responsible to have to make the decisions. You will have to make the decisions. You will have to come to a conclusion of what it is that God wants through our church and through our ministry. And, and listen, at the end of the day, these things have to be considered. These are not negative conversations. They're necessary conversations. Are we okay? Okay. I just, man, I'm just telling, I'm telling you. So, so, so who's right in this situation? Barnabas says, man, he should, he should go with us. Paul says, no way. And then they both separate, they part. Well, who's right? Well, God's right. God's always right. And, and, and lest ye think I fall on either side of who's right, let me give you both sides of the coin. Number one, this is the last mention of Barnabas in his ministry in the book of Acts. So God doesn't mention him again. God doesn't mention anything else about him or his ministry. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of God is very clear that the remainder of the book of Acts is Paul's ministry. But lest you think that God did not use Barnabas' ministry, let me remind you that John Mark's restoration is an extension of Barnabas' ministry of reconciliation. By the way, you have the second book in your New Testament as confirmation that Barnabas' ministry was effective in reconciling John Mark. Do you understand? So who's right? God is right. <laughs> and only God is right. Let God be true and every man a liar. Right? That's the way it works. Okay? But we need to understand that when we fall into failure, it can affect leadership. And then number three, when we fall into failure, it can cause doubt among the brethren. It can cause doubt among the brethren. And I think this is clear out of Colossians chapter 4, because as Paul is writing this, this epistle in Colossians, and he's commending Marcus to the Colossians, he does say, listen, okay, listen, hey, Marcus, he might come see you guys. If he comes, touching whom? Ye receive commandments that if he come unto you, receive him. In other words, Listen, Marcus had been restored, and he's profitable, and we're going to talk about all the positive things about that. But he needed commendation from Paul to be accepted by the brethren. My point is, the brethren doubted whether or not Marcus was really still faithful to the Lord and to the ministry. And, and see, we don't think about those things when we step off in fear and failure instead of faith, do we? We don't, we don't, we don't think far enough down the road to say, well, you know what, if I flake out on the church and if I flake out on the Lord and I flake out on the ministry, how is this going to affect leadership? How is it going to affect my brothers and sisters in Christ? How is it going to affect the family of faith and other places? We never think that far ahead in our failure. But I'm telling you that the repercussions of that are very real. We're seeing it biblically. And, so, and listen, you know how it is, man, in the court of public opinion in the church. <laughs> give me a break. You know that you are guilty perpetually. <laughs> I mean, it's one strike and you're out, right, in the, in the church? Isn't that, isn't that the way it works? I mean, because we're, we're so forgiving in the church. <clears throat> I'm glad you all chuckled with that because it meant to be chuckled at. You know, what's, what's interesting is, and, and, and you know, we're all guilty of that until it's us. 
You know, we're all guilty of, of, of one strike and you're out, and we're all guilty of assuming the worst until it's us that fall into failure. And then we get a really heavy dose of soberness and reality and humility. And, and, and it's a reminder for us that there needs to be grace with people. And so, and so in Marcus's case, listen, his failure was so far-reaching that those within the faith community had probably written him off as a failure. And yet Paul is saying, hey, if I'm commanding you, if he comes to you, you receive him. You receive him. And listen, there's, there's nothing wrong with questioning, man, has a guy got it back together again? I mean, Proverbs 29 and verse 19 says, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. We need to be men and women of faith, not failure, not fear. Proverbs 20 and verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? And so, Again, man, I'm all about the restoration. We're gonna, that's the last point. We're going we're gonna to talk about it. But, but let John Mark be an example as a warning for any of us who would be on the fence about stepping out on the ministry, stepping out on the ministers, walking away in fear instead of faith. Let John Mark be an example and a warning. That, and here's the, here's the key. Let him be a warning that our failure will follow us. Our failure will follow us. You say, yeah, man, but grace. Well, we'll get to the grace in a second. But let's not, let's not miss what the Word of God is not silent on. The ramifications of His ministry and, and His actions. And, and so listen, I don't know if you remember, we had the verse up, don't go there again, Derek, but, but in Acts 15... When that contention between Barnabas and Saul was so sharp that they separated, Barnabas took John Mark and they went right right back to Cyprus. Where did he fail? He failed in Cyprus. And do you know where the the son of consolation, the, the, the guy that, according to the book of Galatians, is seeking to restore John Mark, you know where he took him first? To his place of failure. Because God always brings us back to our point of failure so that we can exercise faith instead of fear. And that's the key point. Listen, man, the key point is, look, our past failure doesn't have to be final. And I'm going to swing it around now, and it's all good news from here on out. It doesn't have to be final, and you don't have to be a fatality. And what determines this is faith. And you might just want to write that down by that point. When you begin responding in faith instead of fear, your past failure won't be your final, your final testimony. You don't have to be a fatality in the ministry. You don't have to be somebody, man, one strike and you're out, and all of a sudden God can never use you again. That is wrong. Because God says, listen, I'll bring you right back to Cyprus, and you can, you can overcome where you struggled and where you fell, and then I can grow you up and use you. And that's what we see in Marcus's life. And that's, that's, the, that's the beautiful part of grace and mercy and, and, and God's plan of restoration in our life. So let's get done here. Number four, this is the last point. Marcus, what we see in his life is we see exponential restoration. And, and I use the word exponential very purposefully. Because what you see on the second part of his life and his ministry is exponentially greater than what we saw at the beginning. Do you understand that? I mean, we saw some a little bit of cool stuff, but how God used him afterward is tremendous 
It's exponential, okay? And so what we, what we see, number one, is that, that Paul commanded him to be received. Paul commanded him to be received. In other words, Paul writes to the Colossians and he says, Hey, if John Mark rolls through your town, I have commanded you to receive him. I'm not recommending it. I don't really care what you think about him. I don't care what you think about his situation. You weren't there. It doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't really matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. Paul says, if he shows up, he's the real deal. Receive him. Receive him. Romans 15 and verse 7 says this, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Listen, we need to receive each other the way Christ received us. And by the way, Christ received you when you were not perfect. So, so, so whatever your measure is of receiving other people back in the right fellowship, it needs to be how Christ received you. The way Christ received you is that you humbled yourself and realized that you were a sinner and you exercised faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. And that's how Christ received you when you humbled yourself. And, and, and listen, that's how we're to receive other people, man. When they're humble and, and they're restored and they're, they're doing what God wants out of their life, listen, we, we need to receive them. Number two, we see that Marcus was commended to be profitable by the Apostle Paul. He's commended to be profitable in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11. The Bible says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, John Mark, Marcus, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And I'm telling you, if you don't understand the significance of that statement, you need to go back to Acts 15. Because Paul said, there ain't no way that dude is coming with me. There's no way that dude's coming on this missionary journey. And yet he said, listen, bring him because he is profitable for the ministry. Paul could have asked for anybody, and he asked for John Mark. Bring him. He's profitable for the ministry. That, that shows us that Barnabas' ministry to John Mark re- restored him to usefulness and to profit, profitableness in the ministry. And by the way, that should be the goal of any restoration attempt, Right? When we fall into failure, listen, we all fall into failure. When we fall into failure, the goal is to bring someone back to the point of being profitable for the ministry. Not just to where they're not walking in fear or walking in sin anymore. That's not the goal of restoration. I think sometimes we forget that. Like like we forget that that God is more concerned that not only do we overcome whatever failure we've we've experienced, but we are re-engaged in the ministry. That's the point of restoration. They were actually active and participating in the ministry again. Paul says, listen, he's profitable for the ministry. What a tremendous picture of God's grace. Okay, and then lastly, he's commissioned to labor. He's commissioned to labor because we see in Philemon uh, chapter 1 and verse 24, again, he's going, Paul's going through these names, and he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. And again, so, so Paul now has, has commended him, he's commanded him to be received, he's commended him as being profitable, and he's commissioned him into the labor. And again, man, when we say exponential restoration, it is exponential, because here's the guy that, that Paul is calling for. He could have called for anybody. Now, I want you to bring Mark, because he's profitable. 
Your second book of the New Testament proves. I mean, God used him. You talk about, you talk about profitability to the ministry. God used him to bring you Scripture. Oh, and by the way, the gospel according to Mark, one of the four gospel accounts, is the gospel account that portrays the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it pictures Christ as a servant. And isn't it fitting that God used a man that experienced extraordinary failure but exponential restoration to portray to us through the, through the Spirit of God what it really means to be a servant. Because that's a lesson that Mark himself had to learn. And God used him mightily, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the restoration that's in Christ. And so, and so here's some key things to consider, you know, as we, as we wind this thing down, we're done. Man, we, how did I end early again? I, I did this like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. This, is, this never happens. Okay, key, key lessons to consider from John Mark's life. Number one, not everyone who begins will finish. Okay? And I don't, I don't give you that blank to look across the room and say, yeah, you're right, because I see homeboy over there. I, I, he started, but he, okay, that, that's, not for, that's not for you to look across the room. That's for you to look at yourself. Because if you started, well, there's a chance you won't finish. There's a chance you'll fall into failure. There's a chance you'll fall into fear instead of faith. And so not everybody that begins, you could be surrounded with all the right people. I mean, you could be Cody's favorite worship team member. You're surrounded with all the right people. And yet, that's no guarantee of success. And I'm telling you, you could have all the right opportunities, just like Marcus did. But it doesn't guarantee us success. Number two, not everyone who is willing to go is ready to go. And we saw that in Acts chapter 12 and Acts chapter 13, especially in Acts chapter 13. I mean, I mean, John, Mark, Marcus was willing to go with Barnabas and Paul to Cyprus. But it was very obvious that when he got there, he wasn't ready yet. He, he wasn't ready yet. Number three, we need to understand that ministry relationships can be strained for different reasons. And, and again, I don't, I don't want to be an idiot. I am an idiot, but I don't want to be an idiot right now. We need to understand that, that ministry is, there are, there are some complexities to it. And there are conversations, and all ministry is built on relationships. And we have to understand that leaders have to make tough decisions. And sometimes our actions and, and our walk of faith or walk in fear, actually, it affects their ability to make decisions. It, it may even divide leadership. It may even cause us to have a, a, a strained relationship with leadership, okay? Listen, the point is, we need to appreciate that. We, we don't need to be so selfish that we don't think that our struggles and, and failures don't affect other people. Are you okay with that statement? We need to understand it's bigger than us, it's much bigger than us. And thankfully, here's the last point. Look, God is able to restore and to use people who failed in the past. And I want to say this very clearly. Listen, man, if you've, if you've ever felt like, okay, yeah, I blew it, or I blew it m multiple times, hey, we all have. But, but I want you to understand that God really is interested in restoring you to profitable ministry for the body of Christ's sake and for his glory's sake. You know who gets the glory out of having Marcus restored, you say Barnabas does. No, Jesus Christ gets the glory out of that. He can take someone who was, who was absolutely just 
Man, he blew it. <laughs> he blew it. He, he ran home to mommy, to Jerusalem. What a wuss. That's in the Greek when you study it. Okay, look. <clears throat> I mean, just what a coward. You know, it's easy to beat a guy like that up if you've never been on a, a mission field and actually experienced spiritual opposition yourself. It's real easy to beat a guy up like that. But man, listen, he, he was restored exponentially and God used him exponentially. And, and listen, we need to rejoice that God gets glory out of that. God gets the glory out of that because he could take broken people and still use them for his glory. And aren't you thankful for that? That means God, God wants to use you. God wants to use me. God wants to use every one of us. And I want to encourage you. Listen, learn. Learn from John Mark. Failure, it doesn't have to be a reality in your life, but if you're not careful, it will be. And yet God is still greater. God is still greater than your, than your failure. God is still able to restore. God is still able to reconcile and use you for his kingdom purpose sake. And listen, as a, as a body of believers, we need to receive that. And we need to receive each other as God continues to use us. Amen? All right. Thank you guys for being here. Let me pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that